and welcome back to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog, the only podcast and blog that cares so much about Scottish rugby that we produced our own World Cup song. More on that later. Uh, I am, as always, Cammy Black, and joining me this evening, it's the drummer from our wee band, the Scottish Rugby Bloggers. It's John Sticks Anderson. Good evening, John. <laughs> Good evening. Um, don't forget, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog at Cami Black. Uh, we're on email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk on Facebook and Instagram. Um, there's been a fair bit of news um, since we uh, have had our summer break and you, you had a couple of uh, summer podcasts. Do, do go back and listen to those. We put out one on the rules of being a Scottish rugby fan. We've, we've come up with our top 10 rules. Um, not much controversy, I don't think, John. They were all, all fairly sensible. No, I think they were very sensible. I was I was waiting for for you to kind of segue us into something mental, but no, I, it was good. I like the hierarchy of who we should support. Yeah, that was very very detailed as well. Um, I think I think it is important because I often find myself sitting torn, thinking who who am I meant to support here? I'm not sure. So having that hierarchy, it'll be really, really useful, particularly for the World Cup. Particularly for the World Cup. So it's, for those who don't know, it's um, we support anybody but England, um, anybody but Ireland, unless Ireland are playing England, in which case we support Ireland. Um, anybody but Wales, unless Wales are playing Ireland or England, in which case we support Wales. Um, all bets are off, though, if it means that Scotland win the World Cup or uh, the Six Nations are a Grand Slam. In that case, we don't care so long as we win. It's um, basically like the rugby equivalent of Bodmas, where you know, uh, tell you your mathematical calculation, we should come up with some sort of acronym for it. Then probably, if anybody wants to come up with something, do let us know. Get in touch. Um, the other podcast we put out, um, John, you've had a go. This is our text-based adventure <laughs> game. Um, yep. Where you are the the cultural attaché to Scotland during the World Cup, and you have to navigate the team through all sorts of various challenges to try and win the World Cup. You can play on the blog. Um, it's called Bandersnatch, and we also did a wee podcast where I got um, Alan McDonald's from the Scottish Rugby Forum and our own Al Kerr to play live, um, and that was quite quite a good laugh, a good fun podcast. That, um, but you can also go on there and you can play yourself. It's free to play. Uh, John, how how have you got on with that? Have you have you managed to win yet? Yeah, yeah, I won quite early on. Um, I had a couple of, couple of false starts as expected. Um, I sent I sent Hoggy, Finn, and Ali to a certain TV show, <laughs> um, which which you know cost me my job. But I did also uh, manage to get assassinated in Witherspoons. So um, yeah, I think I experienced the, the the lows and highs of what was a very creatively um, put together game. What what end what what because because at the end if you actually win the game you do get to see um, an end screen from a classic video game. What 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 one did you manage to see? I. I got the E Honda one, uh, which I was very, very pleased about. Yeah, very niche. Um, in terms of actual rugby news, then um, there's been the SRU AGM, um, which we covered in quite a bit of detail last year. Given the build up to the World Cup, we haven't quite got the time to devote to it. But if you go over to the Offside Line website, um, they um, David Barnes over there has tackled that head on over the summer, uh, if you want to read more about that and why the SRU might not quite be debt-free or as debt-free as they claim to be, um, David does a very good job in cutting through the uh, what we refer to as the, the Dodsonisms, I think John has a better <laughs> way to describe that, um, which is where someone just uses a lot of words um, that don't necessarily make sense or coherent sentences in order to try and explain things. But but David cuts right through that, and it's well worth a, a read if you've got a, an interest in, in the goings-on 
uh, at the big house at Murrayfield. Um, we've also had a few comings and goings at Edinburgh. We've covered those on the blog. Um, but um, the still not much Glasgow-wise, John. Still, it's a bit of a concern that we still no announcement as to who internally or externally is going to replace Hoggy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all quiet, isn't it? Um, we've, had, we've had a couple of Fijians come in recently, but um, yeah, nothing on the nothing on the fullback front, which. Uh, in any we trust. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's all fine. Um, other news is that, that Big Goddy Reed is going to be playing Super Six uh, next <laughs> season at Air, which is came as some surprise to everyone. I mean, fair play if you again there's the really good interview with him on the offside line uh, where he's just said he basically moved back to Scotland for family reasons, um, put family first, which is all all, all fair play to Goddy, and he did promise I think when he left there that he would end his career there. Only 32. Um, Still in the World Cup squad, John. Things apparently there was there was there was you know there was some discussions with Glasgow, but things couldn't quite get over the line. Is that? Are you surprised? Yeah, yeah very much so. I, I I would have I would have placed a lot of um, a lot of a betting company's money on him coming back to Glasgow. So very surprised. Given as you say, he's, he's still he's he's coming into his prime as a prop, really. If you, if you, I mean, if you base it on normal props, I mean, Gordy's a, uh, he's a, he's, he's an abnormal lad, isn't he? So <laughs> let, let, let's, well, I'm sure he'll do fine down in there, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out seeing him in a Glasgow shirt yet. By the end of the season, no, I think that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a good shout. Um, in other news, um, as we build to the World Cup, Gregor Townsend has begun to cut his World Cup training squad down to size. Um, we have lost last week Gary Graham, Kyle Stain, Nick Grigg and Henry Pergos all returning to their clubs. Not not many surprises there, I don't think, John. No, no, I think what it does is it shores up um, some of the thinking, particularly at scrum half. You know, that leaves you with the three in um, Ali Price, uh, Greg Laidlaw, um and uh, George Horn, of course. Um, so if he takes three, obviously that's your three. You would expect Pergos wouldn't have made it the, no. anyway. And I suppose um, it gives it's given Ember and Glasgow a chance that those players to get back yeah. integrated. They're in pre-season, they're integrating, there's a lot of work going on there that, that gives them a chance to sort of throw themselves into that. Yeah, I think it is quite interesting that this happened in the same sort of same space of time as Dave Rennie started to sort of say that perhaps, you know, it was it was expecting big things of the squad, but you know it was he was talking a lot about a lot of young good men that he had uh, that he had in his squad, uh, as opposed to um, the usual um, um, well, uh, platy good men. Um, <laughs> um, the 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 interesting thing that leaves us then is with the, the, much debate. There's nine left to cut for Gregor Townsend between now and uh, yep. September. Um, it was quite interesting. Did you hear that him speaking on the official Scottish Rugby podcast? Um, our closest competitor, I think. Um, <laughs> the um, It was quite interesting speaking, listening to him. He's He was talking about some players still, even though, because this was after the cut I think he'd made, um, not, you know, maybe not even getting a game or maybe only getting one game out of the four. And really... Whereas you might have expected him to be trying combinations or giving game time to the the fringe players, it sounds more like he's going for really sort of helpful leather for for establish you know trying to establish established groups and establish combinations rather than experimenting with anything. This is really sort of you know everyone's time to shine. So 
we're probably going to get indication in the next two games as to who who's likely to go. Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think the, with the I think he's had his had his probably twenty eight of his thirty one pretty nailed on actually, um, and I think there's maybe only a few squad positions that maybe he's not sure of yet. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of bodies in there to for to put it brutally, there's a lot of bodies in there to stop us having a, a Gareth Anscombe situation. Yes. There's people that are going to play minutes. Just just to play minutes. Which if we're if we're looking at um the forwards and the backs and who's like I mean the way the way we're going to approach this we're going to look we're looking at who's likely to get cut this isn't our personal opinion this we're just trying to get into Gregor Townsend's ways of thinking and who who's likely to go rather than who we we would we would pick uh, necessarily there um now the forwards um the, there are already six props and three hookers um yep. i think what we're likely to see is that that they'll they'll stay because of the distance, I think if if you were playing in Europe, you might be tempted to go with five props or yeah. even two hookers. But I don't think you can do that in tournament rugby if you're going as far as Japan. Because if you are flying someone over, it's going to take them out. They're not going to be able to sort of acclimatise and get in straight away, are they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the key one in there. I mean, obviously you've got you've got um, Stuart McNally who has played. Obviously, started his career at back row as well. But Fraser Brown, again, you talk about versatility in World Cup squads. He's he's played at seven in a World Cup. Yeah. Um, he'll be used. I, I would imagine he'll be used as an auxiliary back row as well. Yeah, and same with George Turner, of course, as well. So yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so which look- actually, Cammy, uh, just correction. There's still, there's still four. There is in the squad. Grant Stewart will be cut. Yeah, so there's our first cut from the forwards. Um, the other cuts, I'm I would predict. I think uh, Magnus Bradbury. Ooh, I'm going to go Ooh. with big, big call. Big call. I think Jamie Ritchie. In terms of young young back rows, I think he'll go with Jamie Ritchie. Yeah. Um, over Bradbury, I think Bradbury had a really good end to the season. I think he had a very good Calcutta Cup, but I think. If it comes down to having a young back, what a young back row apprentice, Richie goes over Bradbury. Although I appreciate that they're not necessarily like for like swaps. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see. I, I, I'm actually going to probably for one of the first times ever on this podcast, and just to to uh, placate some of our listeners who <laughs> say we agree too much. Agree I'm, too going much. To dis- I'm going to disagree, disagree with you. I think Bradbury goes division. Like, <laughs> Clear number. <laughs> you think Bradbury goes? Okay, so who? I'm, I'm, I'll tell you who I'm cutting. I'll, I'll tell you who I'm cutting from the forwards first. Then you can tell me what you've gone with. So I've gone with Bradbury, Cummings, Ferguson, Stewart, Strauss. Now and then, my last two that I'm not sure about is, and it's going to come down to it's either going to be Blade Thompson or Ryan Wilson. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with most of those. Wilson's cut. Josh Strauss. Absolutely. Um, I think you might see that Sam Skinner's taken as a lock yep. come back row and one of the locks gets cut. Uh, so I I agree that Scott Cummings will be cut. I wouldn't be surprised to see another one cut as well. <sighs> might be Ben Toulis. Yeah. Just throwing it there. Um, but yeah, it could be actually that Jamie Ritchie might get cut. That's the thing. 
Um, we don't obviously the issue we've got is we don't have a you know we don't see these guys day in day out and I think some of the reports that have been coming out about maybe certain players we'll get onto this in the backs that might not necessarily be favourites uh, with the fans mm. uh, or hitting squads um, seem to be you know impressing the coaches but yeah I mean the back row is just I was actually going to before you brought it up I was going to just abstain from doing the back row because. <laughs> Frankly, I've got no idea what's going on. Well, let me. I think that the that Ryan Wilson's inclusion in the squad comes down to how well Blade Thompson plays. Yes, yes. That's what it's down to, and to a certain extent, Blade Thompson's got a big job to do because Ryan Wilson, for to to a large extent, and credit to him for this, this isn't in any way some backhanded compliment. But a lot of the reason <laughs> why Ryan Wilson is in the squad is because what he brings to the squad, not necessarily in the way he plays, but in the I think in the camaraderie and the social th- sides of things, which in tournament rugby, I don't think you can underestimate it. And I don't think Gregor Townsend would. I no. think having someone like Ryan Wilson in a squad, you know, that, that outbalances any, does sort of outweigh some limitations he may have compared to another player. So you weighing up, well, we're away for a long time. People are going to need to be entertained. People are going to need to be. We're going to have to g guys up. We're going to have to. You know, we're a long way from home, and Ryan Wilson brings a lot in that regard. I think Blade Thompson, I think, then has a job to do to show that he's exceptional. Yeah. And if he's an exceptional player, as as he seems to be, and it can step up to international rugby, I think he goes ahead of Wilson. But I think Ryan Wilson's contribution to the squad. Out, you know, day to day in training and keeping guys g'd up, I think does. Uh, the, 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 I think Townsend places some stock in that. Uh, that uh, makes absolute sense, and as you say, they're they're a long, long way from home. Um, with quite, hopefully, hopefully, quite a, a substantial period of time as well. Yeah. So yeah, it will be really interesting, and I, I guess. I am probably I'm probably a little bit um, worried uh, if I'm honest about the whole Ryan Wilson thing. If he gets, he's that uh, turns out he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Um, and frankly, anyone who uh, admins a forum of eight <laughs> half thousand people uh, is is the same. Um, yeah, I can see see the the outcry already. Um, either way, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, you know, logic goes out the window, but yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting. I'm really interested to see Blade Thompson actually. Um, yeah, I've I, seen, seen him a wee bit at this um, at club level, but it will be good to see him at an international. It will be, and I think that I I would be. I mean, we we we're recording this that um, the day before. I think the squad's going to go out. I, I suspect it's coming out tomorrow, um, which will be yeah. Wednesday as we record this. So. Um, we're not going to discuss the team because anything we say is going to be redundant by the time people are actually <laughs> listening to this. But um, yeah, I think I think he will likely see him make an appearance yeah. in Nice either off the bench because he's going to be one of the players that that Townsend's going to want to see over two or three games um, if he's a genuine prospect. And um, the backs, I think I'm predicting. I think the backs are going to be the area of most outrage Ooh, um, okay. in terms of what I think. I I think you've hinted at this. And yes. the noise and coming from the camp is that Chris Harris is impressing the coaches a lot. I think he'll go. I think unless he's injured, I think Chris Harris will go. I think 
in his defence and in defence of his selection and why I think Townsend and the coaches will pick him is watch back how he plays against England in the, at yep. Twickenham. I think yep. if if he plays at that consistently, he becomes a real asset for his versatility. He can play the wing, he can play centre. Yep. Then, and I, he he just may be one of those players that's taken a while to warm up to to international rugby. Yeah, I mean, I've I've I have criticised him on on here. Uh, I'd hold my hands up. Um, his performance in the second half against England, um, I I talked about it when he came on defensively. He was he was very very strong, and as you say, the rumours coming out of the camp, the thing they're talking about a lot is his ability to get involved time and time again. I think is the quote that came out, um, and playing this fast fast game that they're looking to play. That's that's the sort of player you need. Yeah. So with that in mind. Here's my prediction for who's cut. I've gone with... Now, I know I'm going to get pelters for this because I get every time I say it, Rory Hutchinson. He'll probably get a game. I think he'll get capped, um, but I think it's too early. Yes. I think it's a bit of a Cal Stain situation. I think I I, I'm going to say, I rate him as a player. Please don't at me. Oh, <laughs> slag me off in the comment section. But I just... I honestly think it's probably too early for him. I don't think Townsend will take him, uh, barring injury. I think it's hard to see Byron McGuigan making it. Um, yes. He seems to be a little bit out, fallen out of favour of late. Um, now, there was an interesting point made by uh, Matthew Riley on Twitter when I said we would be covering this. He's predicting that Blair Kinghorn might miss out. I also predicted that quite some time ago. Yeah. Now, I think it's going to be... Now, I've worked... How, how did I work this out? I think I thought that we would cut... We'd have to, we would have to cut three backs. How did I do my maths? Yeah, I worked out yeah. three. Yeah. Three backs. So, I think... And this is where I think the contra- controversy is going to come. I think there's going to be either Kinghorn or Horn. Pete Horn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think we, we, we're stacked at centre. And if Townsend sees... Laidlaw as provide as as a third ten or a third option at ten, should you know touch wood one of the other two fall or get injured, then Pete Horn uh, is behind Sam Johnson and potentially behind Chris Harris and who else have you got then to play uh, twelve? Duncan, Duncan Taylor plays. Duncan 12 Taylor plays well. twelve. You've got well, we know we know Finn Russell play is is is, is being tar- <laughs> Well, we know because in an interview with I think who was he speaking? I think it was Rob Robertson in the um, Mail. He gave a quote talking about playing fly half or twelve, which ah. I think is very telling. I think he's been seen. He's definitely seen as an option at twelve. It's tournament rugby. I, I'm calling it. We're going to have cats at a rave by the end oh, of the tournament. Yes, but I. So I think I think if if we're looking at tournament rugby, we're looking at versatility. You've got Johnson. Um, Taylor. Um, who else did I say? Um, Hugh Jones. Hugh Jones. I, you've got enough depth at centre that, and if you Laidlaw's the third ten, then Pete Horn may be cut. Yeah, yeah. I I think the name that jumped out. I I, I think Blair Kinghorn maybe. So it will take an outstanding set of performances from Pete Horn over the next couple of weeks to um, to get himself off the gallows. But I think Blair Kinghorn is on a sugary pig as well. Yep. 
Um, so it'll be interesting again. It'll just be it'll be interesting to see the goal. I think I think I agree with you, Rory Hutchinson. Again, he might turn up um, this weekend. He might he might get a game and score, you know, four tries in his debut or something ridiculous, Brian O'Driscoll esque. Uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden, we're like, oh no, what's going on here? Um, or he'll take his time and he'll be a young and experienced international debutant um, and he won't make the World Cup squad. So, but yeah, I think the guys that have got versatility, the only player there that kind of jumps out who maybe isn't versatile but absolutely is going because he's now the nailed on in his position for me is Sam Johnson who yeah. I think is is the 12 day in day out now. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know it took him. He had a, that shocker against France, didn't he? Um, yeah. But then, did he have? Did he have um, Pete Horn at ten that day? Uh, yeah, 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 he did. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the um, horn strikes again. Yeah. So, but again, once once he hit his stride. Um, obviously, so, and again, please don't at us. This is our predictions based on who who we think Gregor Townsend will take, not who who we would would like to take. Although uh, I wouldn't choose Rory Hutchinson, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'm sure he's going yeah. to be a fine player for future for Scotland, but too early. Definitely don't at me. I've only just reinstalled Twitter, so <laughs> de- definitely don't at me, please. We'll, we'll get on to booing the kicker later on. Um, <laughs> So it's France this weekend. Um, we don't know the team as we're recording this. By the time you're listening uh, to it, we will. Um, so we're not going to discuss that in any detail or who we think should be picked because we'll only look like fools uh, <laughs> as soon as this podcast is is over. Um, earlier, though, we spoke to Ilteth Davith, uh, who is a, a Welsh journalist based in France, um, about how France are preparing for the World Cup and for this game. Uh, okay, we're joined by Ilthus Davith, um, who is a Welsh journalist, but based in France. Um, Ilthith, um, Scotland, France this weekend, playing at the Alliance in Nice. Um, what, what's Nice like as a, as a rugby city, and, and what kind of things is Scotland going to expect for a reception there? Traditionally, it's not that much of a, of a rugby city itself, but the area is quite strong with rugby. You've got Toulon, we're just down the road to our multiple French and European champions. So there is a proper spirit of rugby there. It's quite, quite a few games that have been played at the um, Allianz Stadium as well, where Toulon have played some European and also some domestic games there as well. Um, regarding what Scotland can expect, um, it's probably going to be quite warm. A lot of people head down to Nice and the Côte over, over the summer for a, sol- for a holiday. And there's a reason for that, for the warm climate and the nice beaches and the nice blue, clear sea in the Mediterranean. But it's obviously a decent place to prepare because Wales um, spent a little bit of time there between the France and the, Na- and the Italy fixtures in the Six Nations. They, 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 instead of heading back to Wales between Paris and Rome, they went there for the, for the, for the period between both fixtures. So it's obviously got some thing that some rugby countries are um are appealing to and it is a little bit of a, a bit of a rugby town yeah and, and in terms of france how are their preparations going is it is it typically french sort of in in, in the way they're going about it, or is there a bit more focus now it seems there seems to be maybe a little bit more structured to it a little bit more organized it's far more intense than what they've done in the past in recent world cups They've been up to places like a ski resort of Teen uh, and to do altitude training, or they've gone down to some ski resorts or some alpine resorts, some mountain resorts in the Pyrenees. But this time round, they've moved a bit, a bit. They've moved quite a bit actually. So they were, they've been in Macro 
democracy in the in Paris and the National Centre of Excellence there for a little bit. Um, and they moved on to Monaco for a little bit for, for, for a week, then had a break of five days and then moved to Valencia down in like a hotel uh, down there on the, on the Spanish east, east Coast. And then they um, now they had to Nice for this one. And they're going to stay, and then they're going to stay in Nice afterwards before they before they head up to Edinburgh next week. So that's the kind of itinerary they've had. But what what they've actually been doing, as a lot of countries are saying right now, that it's the most intense preparation they've ever had. But the, what's happened is that the the backroom staff that have been brought in have really kind of upped the ante with it and up the intensity. You've got Thibaut Jules, a new um, physical uh, strength and conditioning head of guy. He came in from Racing 92. And there's also Fabien Galtier, the former France scrum half and captain, who's been brought in as a as a consultant, as an advisor to current head coach. Galtier will then take over the reins from the 65-year-old after the Rugby World Cup. With so, that in mind, and though, a lot of people I speak to who, are, who, who went down to Monaco, who... who, who who were in Valencia said that it, it, you get the impression that it's Galtier who's leading the sessions with Giroud, the uh, strength and condition guy alongside him, and then uh, Pugnell is kind of in the background uh, over lo- looking over everything. Yeah, so is that so is that the sense now that he's not he's taking more of an overview rather than sort of being directly involved in the the day to day training sessions? Yeah, definitely. Um, if you were looking at, if you were putting a positive shine on it, you would say that he's probably a bit of a director of rugby, looking at taking a step back from on the field training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's the position he would be filled. If you're taking a critical look at it, maybe look at the, the, the French press back and follow um, the, the side around. They were saying he's just a bit of a lame duck, you know, and he's not there to do anything. He literally does the press conferences, and that's about it, really. Which is a shame, really, because when you think of, he should be retiring, really, and. and a man who's got such an illustrious coaching career on both the club level and also the, the national level. To have his career finished like that is a bit of a shame, but at the same time, maybe he shouldn't have been appointed in the first place. He's quite old. He was brought in because he's one of Laporte's friends. He, he was an assistant to Bernard Laporte um, as well. So it's a difficult situation to kind of figure out, but one thing is for sure, Galtier and the Angelou have brought in a new bit of fresh air now and the, the players are expected to run. Uh, they, they've been doing these quite intense physical sessions and the players are expected to be running 110 metres um, every minute. And if they don't do that, then the GPS tracker that the, the coaching staff have will tell them, no, you, have, you need to up the pace, up the intensity. And they've been doing that for like blocks of seven so that proves how intense this training has because they want to get the French national team up to the same sort of conditioning levels as England and New Zealand are and that also explains why someone like Mathieu Bastogne was axed from the squad in June yeah, it's interesting because, like, like you said, this this is the the French saying, you know, that it's the hardest training they've ever done, and and everybody's saying that, aren't they? I mean, I think I was joking with you when when you got in touch about doing the pod about that. that there's nobody saying we're, we're just on the golf course, lads, taking it easy. Um, Scotland are saying they're they're fed up of training and they're just desperate to play an actual game. Is that the sort of similar message from the French players? Um, France haven't done much press com- press really, um, since they left Valencia last week, so. That hasn't really come out yet because their test week hasn't really kicked into full swing as per se. But you would get the impression they probably are desperate to play because, but at the same time, maybe some of them aren't so much because anyone who played for Toulouse and uh, Clermont this season only finished on 
June 14th. They had three weeks off and then they were straight back into uh, camp with the French team. So maybe some of them went a little bit longer without the intensity of, of a high-level test match. And then on the other side, you've got some people who were knocked out of, who weren't even in the uh, top 14 playoffs, let alone the semi-finals or finals. And they've been almost a month extra without playing. So they must be chomping on the bit, at the bit to play. Yeah, and I mean, Scotland, it's, it's interesting. Scotland haven't won in France for 20 years now. Um, and the feeling, I think, in the Six Nations, certainly, I think when I spoke to you last, is, is that Scotland fancied themselves against France, but it didn't quite come to pass. I think the, the the feeling over here was that was more Scotland really failed to seize the chance and didn't play to the best that day. Um, is is the sense that this is a... This is a, this is going to be a good test for France going to the World Cup, or is Scotland seen as a bit of a formality? Do you think still? It's quite. I think it'd be quite harsh um, to say that it's Scotland are a formality, especially for a French side where nothing under Pounel is a formality. Really, they've gone from playing sort of atrocious rugby, which included the, the first ever defeat to Fiji in November, but then they also beat Argentina quite a, quite an, an all right Argentina under um, Ledesma as well during the same period and they also were quite convincing in beating Italy and they performed quite well against Scotland a bit and they also well started the whole Six Nations um, by, by winning the first half against Wales in quite good ma- in quite a good manner as well. I wouldn't say they're overly confident about their chances this week but yeah if you look at history France and Scotland have only beaten France three times in the last 20 years and that hasn't happened in France either and also Scotland have never won in France, outside of Paris, yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of the the, the 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 sense of going into this World Cup, because France have always kind of been dark horses going into the World Cup, um, and and you know we saw in I think twenty eleven when they made the made the final against all predictions. Is is there a, a confidence in the French media and public that that this is France are going in with good prospects, or is everybody a bit more sort of playing it down? I get the impression there's probably an element of arrogance because the performance, France's performances in recent World Cups and also France, there is an element of that it is a big global country for any sport. And whenever France play um, on the world stage, be that football, handball, um, tennis players, golfers, and then rugby, there is always an expectation for them to perform well and to get results. And if you'd asked me before Fabien Galtier had been appointed, I think everyone would have been quite dour for the chances and it would have been quite negative, um, especially considering their pool is with England and Argentina, who realistically are, are stronger outfits than France. They've been together for a little bit longer as well um, than Jack Brunel's side. But with Galtier come in, um, there's a bit of confidence. And also what's also had a bit of confidence is we saw how well Toulouse played at the end of last season, both in top 14 and also... In the Champions Cup, losing the semi-finals to Leinster, there is a little bit of confidence there, and because there's so many members of the squad that come from Toulouse and also Clermont who won the Challenge Cup and were losing top 14 finalists as well. So the whole backline, you can pretty much choose a backline of just Toulouse and Clermont players. So if they did that, maybe people would get behind them even more. So, and so yeah, if you'd asked me the same question six months ago, it would have been very, very different. But now. All things are kind of a bit more positive. Their, their, their chins are a bit higher, and there's all, all there's a little bit more hope as well. So, so potentially dark, you know, not coming in with the best of form, but maybe dark horses. Yes, I uh, yeah. Let's say they're dark horses because um, they've got incredible individuals 
incredibly talented. You've got a halfback pairing of Antoine Dupont and then either uh, Romain Antovac, Camille Lopez or Thomas Ramos, who's normally a fullback, but played for Toulouse in the 10 years at the end of the last season, who are very, very, very impressive. You've got, you've got a mightily big pack there, led by captain Guillardo, incredibly experienced, and then also number eight, Louis Picamal. And then in the engine room itself, you've got someone like Felix Lambe, who really stood out and sorry, he might have um, ginger hair, but he's not Scottish for now. But one, <laughs> another one is from Greg, Gregory Aldrit, a back rower from La Rochelle. He qualifies for Scotland as well, which is quite funny. And he made his debut uh, against the Thistle in the Six Nations as well. So there, there's a quite a good spine there. And if you can, what I think is if if they can get a core Toulouse backline playing well, like they did with Toulouse, chucking a few Clement players like Damien Penault and Fijian Bourne, but uncapped Aliveretti. Raka, the backline can do anything, but it's really important that this pack can really, really set a platform, like for any team really, but it's really important for France too because of how dangerous they are in the backline. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting I think, for this weekend for Scotland because this is the, the I think the one test to go away to play, uh, show, show their form away from home against against the top, you know, a top tier side. Uh, we, I think we're kind of slightly nervous I think I, you know I, I, the, the heart says Scotland might might nick something but the head's sort of saying it's going to be quite tight have you got any sort of predictions for the, for the game I find it's always difficult because it's that first sort of um, test match warm up in a period it's always the same case in the autumn nationals or nations it's hard to judge where your team is isn't it really um, but what I what you can expect from France on Saturday I'm pretty sure will be one of two things They'll either be quicker at blocks, incredibly intense, a bit like we saw England against Wales on Saturday where they just blitzed it, got possession and kept it and just scored early points or early on the board because they've been so eager and they've kind of upped the ante in training. Or on the flip side, you'll see them really, really tired, really, really flogged and maybe have overtrained during this uh, month or so. So it'll be one of those two things. But at the same time, it's also about selection. The team gets named on Thursday. Uh, there's a few uncapped players who could get chucked in. Alaverity Raka from Clermont, um, and then also front rowers in Emmerich Setiano or Toulouse hooker Pertom Malvaca as well. So it all depends if Brunel or Galte, depends who you think picks the team, uh, decides what do they want to fr- like blood some fresh players in this weekend because it's at home in Nice. It's not as difficult as going away to Edinburgh in seven days' time. Or they want to keep a bit of continuity. <clears throat> But hey, let's see what Galtier, what sort of input he's got, because he wants them to play a bit more intense. He wants them to play a bit more flowing. So he might want to change the personnel that he picks just because of the way the gameplay he wants to play. Ilta there, John, I'm saying that um, France are actually doing a lot of conditioning work. There's not a lot of noise coming out of the France, French camp either. They, they're very quietly going about their work and seems like Jacques Brunel has been rather sidelined in preparations as well. Um, it's... <laughs> I mean, Ilted's saying that, and from what he was saying, and I, I, you know, we asked the question there, France are looking like dark horses going into this World Cup. I mean, are you nervous about this weekend? Um, you know, actually, no, I'm not that nervous. And there's part of that's because it's a warm up match. You know, you can, you can badge these however you like, and, you know, all the nonsense at the weekend about England and Wales and uh, try, you know, it's never a friendly between two international sides, right? It's a warm up match. It's, we're going to see players that wouldn't make international squads in normal conditions. So I'm not that, I'm not that bothered to be honest. (laughs) Um, But that said, um, yes, the, 
the, the small snippets of news that are coming out from France and even seeing some of some of the players that have started to make their way into the French setup, there's there's definitely more about them. Um, and you, uh, when it comes to World Cups, France are ugh, they're just so French. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens again. But yeah, who knows? Who knows which who knows? France yeah. team will turn up? Who knows which Scotland team will turn up? Um, that's the that's the magic of France versus Scotland these days. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think it's probably the last chance before the World Cup, Scotland. I know they're playing away in Georgia and uh, all due respect to the Georgians, but but this is probably the last real test Scotland are going to have away, playing playing away from Murrayfield. Yeah, it's that yeah. last chance to sort of get that away, the, the sort of away from Murrayfield monkey off the back before hitting Japan um, and playing the opening game against Ireland. So... We shall see. We shall see. Um, we haven't got a podcast next week. I have, uh, unfortunately, booked holiday. <laughs> but 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 we will have full coverage of the game on the blog. Uh, so do go to scottishrugbyblog.co.uk for, for a match report. Um, and we'll have other bits and bobs on there. As well as uh, Kevin Miller, Top of the Moon's excellent um, analysis, pre-match analysis. He's got an article up already on um, France and Scotland head-to-heads. Uh, and I think we'll we'll have one next week going into the next match as well. Um, we'll be back post the game at Murrayfield, which um, hopefully I'll be covering because um, I am holidaying nearby. Um, <laughs> so I've planned that rather nicely. I'm missing the podcast, but hopefully making the game. Um, now, going into summer, we promised you, uh, dear listener, that we would we would suffer for our art and we would do a podcast where we take a look back at two of Scotland's uh, World Cup near misses, uh, which are the 1991 semi-final against England and the 2015 quarter-final against Australia. Uh, Listeners of a nervous disposition may wish to switch off uh, or skip ahead now. Um, This is the length that we go to to give you content, the trials we go through, the pain we subject ourselves to in order to entertain you. Um, I think the reason we're looking at these, John, is because... um, uh, firstly, it's the two games I think everyone talks about the most in terms of yeah. Scotland and the World Cup. Yeah. And secondly, when you consider the whole history, look at Scotland's history across the World Cup. Um, 2011 is the only time they didn't get out of their group. Um, yep. But otherwise, even I think that I think that the other narrow loss was to Argentina in 2007. Yes. But, but then you know it would be South Africa in the semi-final, who eventually went on to win it. So the the prospect of pro- progressing further, I think, we're, we're slim to none with that. To that, that, you know, the vintage that was the two thousand and seven Scotland team at the time. <laughs> um, all credit to them. I mean, that was the, the 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 blog was launched off the back of that World Cup. So you know, we've, right, we've much yeah. to thank them for. Um, shall we start with nineteen ninety one? We'll go in chronological chronological order. Chronological. Um, now, the funny thing is, and we'll get on to why people. I think what we're going to decide here is people that people have misremembered things massively <laughs> <laughs> about this yes. game, yes. Um, and we'll come on to why in a bit. Um, I, most people remember this game for Gavin Hastings missing a kick in front of the posts. Yes. Um, like the sixties, though, I think most people who remember it weren't actually really there, and we'll come on to why when we go to the game themselves. Um, interestingly, though, when we we're talking about this. I was 10 at the time, and I have very little, rec- well, I have no recollection of this World Cup at all. And a couple of others, I mean, um, Sandy uh, Smith, who writes for the blog, our Edinburgh correspondent, was saying he couldn't remember much of it. And 
Um, Alistair, who runs the Edinburgh Rugby Twitter account, um, was saying similar. And I think it, the, the thing is, 1991 is only the second one. It was still fairly new. Um, I don't really think the World Cup kind of caught people's imaginations until 1995. Do you think that's... I mean, do, do you remember anything of this, John? I, I was but a young pup in 1991. I was I was the grand old age of four. Oof. Uh, so I, I do not remember much of this. Um, but no, I, I would totally agree in terms of the... the uh, it was obviously... It was still four years before professionalism as well. Um, and... Yeah, people from from my experience, you know, people talk about the '87 World Cup because it was for for many years it was the only one New Zealand had won, <laughs> and they talk about '95 and they then talk about subsequent World Cups from there. The other one they miss out is 1999 for some reason. Just nobody cared about '99. Um, <laughs> there were other fun. things. We were all worried about the Millennium Bug. We were all worried Abs- it, planes were going to fall from the sky, John. We had bigger things yeah, yeah. to worry about than the, yeah, uh, the scoreboards would stop working and stuff like that. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah horrible times. Um, but yeah, it's, it was for me. It was like watching it. I, I'd only ever seen highlights of the game um, till I, I, I put myself through it for this. So it was a bit of a weird experience. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about 1991 is Scotland in Scotland's group were Ireland and Japan. Um, and Scotland wow. beat Scotland beat both, uh, progressed to the quarter. Now, interestingly, um, I, I don't know why what was happening in South Africa at the time, but they weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> Something to do with rampant racism and apartheid. Um, so yeah, South Africa were not at the nineteen ninety world uh, nineteen ninety one World Cup because they were you know, on the naughty step for um, the horrendous goings on there. Um, that um, you know anybody who's watched Invictus will will um, or, or 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 who even watched the news at the time would would be aware of that. Um, so Scotland play Western Samoa. Uh, Western Samoa was Samoa. Now it's Western Samoa, not Samoa. Um, is that how the song goes? Um, <laughs> beat them in the quarters uh, and and England in the semi at Murrayfield because this World Cup was in England and Scotland and Ireland and Wales, I think. Um, a few people got in touch say they remembered the game that they were there. Everybody uh, thinks they remember Gavin Hastings' kick, and we will tell you why you don't really remember it in a moment. Um, Alan Tanner uh, was there. He said there was quite a feral atmosphere um, because of the hangover from the 1990 Grand Slam. And I think I've, I think somebody else, I think maybe um, Rob McGeehan had um, got in touch a, a while ago um, when we were talking about sort of um, rugby values to say that, that he'd had quite a time of it as a youngster um, at the 1991 semi-final as well. Um, in terms of the key points then, I mean, it's it's interesting. This is John Jeffrey's last game at Murrayfield for Scotland. I think he retired after this. He looks right. about 50. He was only 32 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, you, you, you moderate forums more than I do, John. I mean, I moderate the comments on the site. But yep. how frequently do we see a certain generation of Scotland fans talk about how Scotland traditionally played running rugby. Scotland never kick away possession in the old in the good old days. Yeah. And yet now much. look at them we're terrible and we kick away possession all the time. And what are we even doing box kicking? <laughs> yeah, from about yeah, I would say that anything from I'm probably from nineteen ninety five in fact, no, we'll, we'll go as far as 1999, back the way. 
Um, Scotland, for for if you listen to some fans, never touched the ball with their feet other than to kick goals. <laughs> and and did that happen in the nineteen ninety one semi final, John? Having watched it back, I I had to readjust uh, the my feed actually to make sure that I wasn't watching Frank Haddon's team. <laughs> the number of balls that it comes out to first receiver and it just gets battered up in the air. Yeah. It was like it's like watching Joe Smith's Ireland actually, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Lots of box kicking, lots of kicking for territory and lots of just, you know, kicking for the for just the line. And, and that was the you know that was obviously the tactic was to, to pin England back and try and compete for the ball in the air and try and win line out. And the odd thing is, I mean, line outs as as we as I soon learned from watching this, were not the fifty fifty balls they are. Were not the sort of uh, a way of regaining possession they are now. They were much more fifty fifty. You had one arm throws. It was mostly a free for all. Yeah, you were as likely to catch a punch as you were to catch the ball. Um, <laughs> but then, and so 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 the the the, log- the logic of kicking for possession when you've no guarantee that you're going to get it back. It just it w- was baffling, especially when you know you read all the reports. The time England were coming into this as as being a team that stifled their opposition and, and just suffocated them. Um, you noticed noticed in the match just uh, one of the points I've written down is England scrum and and maul a weapon. Yeah, um, it's no different to to the traditional English side you expect to see that could. I mean, the number of penalties England won from from scrums. Um, and add on to that, Scotland, when we did get line-out ball in good attacking opportunities, what was the deal with the, the, the Ross Ford like 50-yard throw that they would do to, to, to nobody, to no. not even close? No, and like... I think at one point someone came, came, came through the backs to catch. It was obviously a pre-planned move, but... Yeah, uh, nobody had told the backs that they were doing that move on about three occasions. <laughs> right, lads, we'll, th- we'll throw it long, and the backs will come and get it. But then just neglected to tell the backs that that was the plan. Yeah, yeah um, they were too busy thinking about kicking. So, like, I mean, I, you look at it. England had so many. I think they had three or four penalties off scrums and and and, and malls yeah. and didn't kick any of them. I mean, if England had made those penalties, this you know they were they would have walked this game. Yeah. There was a point during the game that uh, the boy the boy Webb who was kicking. Um, I say boy, I mean, he looked about 104 as well. Um, <laughs> Everyone um, had hard, very hard paper rounds back in the early yeah, 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, again, I've written down here, Johnny Wilkinson, he ain't. Um, <laughs> he was one for five at one point, and yep. some of them horrendous misses. Yeah. And what, what, what happened when people kicked the ball, John, in 1991? The age of deadly silence, apparently, at Murrayfield. <laughs> Well, I mean, again, I had to just double check that um, I had the right feed, but I I heard some booing, believe it or not. I heard some people uttering the 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 famous phrase "boo." They were, of course, saying, they were of course saying "boo urns, boo urns." Yes, yes, yes. It's yeah, it's it's interesting, and it wasn't just the. Uh, Scotland fans, either there were boos and jeers oh, from England as well. I think I've got a theory. I know people find it boring when we talk about booing the kicker, and some people agree with it, some people don't. Here's my theory. As a player, you're expected to respect the kicker, and that is yeah. fine. That is absolutely the right thing to do. 
but when you're standing in the crowd, and I know some people struggle to understand this, but you are not playing the game of rugby. You're not on the pitch. You're supporting, you're cheering. And and obviously down the local community rugby club, booing the opposite, that your opposition are guests. You know, you're not going to disrespect them and boo them. In an international stadium, <laughs> it's absolutely fine to boo the kicker. I think what's happened, is, and I think people probably were fine with it because you listen to the commentary in 91 and I, and I listened to, uh, I, I, like you said, to go back and check that I, this wasn't just an anomaly. I went back and looked at a couple of other games and a couple of other highlights from the 80s. And people are jeering and booing the kicker. And the commentators aren't commentating out and going, oh, you know, don't, you don't like to see that. Or, well, the crowd are on it. You know, th- there was no mention of it. It was just ignored, which makes me think this has always happened. And something happened, I think, I'm guessing, because I've got a recollection of this. I think probably late 90s, early 2000s, around the time of professionalism, someone somewhere in world rugby got it in their heads that what we should do, what, that this idea of respecting the kicker that the players are supposed to do should translate to the crowds. And so started some campaign. And then everybody who thinks they're playing rugby when they're standing in the crowd, when actually all they're doing is watching rugby, um, suddenly said, well, yes, that's what we always did. This is what we always should have done. And it's become this kind of thing that's expected, but but nobody's ever done it. There's no tradition. I don't think there is actually a tradition of this at international rugby matches. There might be no. a tradition at the club rugby. There might be a tradition as a player. But I don't. I think international rugby, and a few people have, have said it didn't happen when I was there, but then I've watched those games that those people say they were at, and, and it did. Yeah. There's I always mean, been jeering and booing. And some people don't want to do it. That's fine. Some people will do it. And I think the we had Alan Dimmick on, on the podcast, I think, uh, about a year ago, and, and this came up. And I think it's choice. Do you know if you don't want to boo the kicker, that's fine. Other people yep. will choose to boo the kicker, and short of violence or abusive language, people should be able to do whatever they want. They paid seventy, eighty quid to be in a bloody rugby stadium. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Live and let live. So, yeah, I think I think that should put it to bed. We we, you know, we, our, our rule is there anyway. We've said now we'll boo kickers who are taking too long, and we'll boo Johnny Sexton. It's known as the Sexton Clause in the rules. Which of, is reasonable. Yeah. That is reasonable. So, yes, um, so lots of kicking for territory. England missed lots of penalties, so they should have been ahead. Um, I mean, the England back row were absolutely immense. I mean, Mick Skinner, for me, stood out. I mean, he was yep. fueled by 100% of Tynehouse arsehole <laughs> Yes. Absolutely had the better of... Um, you know, of of the great white shark. There was one. Did you see? I posted posted this on Twitter. A few people, quite a lot of people, have seen it now. Is the the him grabbing him in the scrum? <laughs> yes, yes. I had to go back and rewind it because it was absolutely. It it was hard to you know what I think watching it dispassionately is because I didn't watch the game at the time. And we'll come on to the the emotional effect of the twenty fifteen quarter final. They nearly broke me watching it a second time today. <laughs> um, it, you know, yeah, sneaking admiration for them. They really bossed that game. England, England. It was hard to see a time when England weren't in control of that game. For me, it actually looked there was a there was a there was a, a sense of inevitability about it all, and that that's kind of I think this pro this point probably leads quite nicely into the Gavin Hastings chat. Um, but yeah, England England were by far and away the better side. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. I mean, we we. This idea, I mean, Scott, we'll talk about the Gavin Hastings things now. I mean, Gavin, the thing with this is, and we we shouldn't talk about this lightly, because Gavin Hastings has lived with this for nigh on 30, getting on for 30 yeah. years now. And people talk about it as though it was the kick to win the match, the kick at the death of the game. There was 20 minutes to go when he missed yes. it. Yes. 
I don't understand how so many people have misremembered that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember being told about it when I was quite young. Being told, oh, yeah, we were a Gavin Hastings penalty. We missed it. He missed it right in front of the posts, and that would have put us in the World Cup final. It's like they didn't mention the, the 101 kicks that England had missed and the fact that there was a full quarter of the game left. And the fact that Scotland, you know, spurned their own chances. There was, yep. I think it was at one point, Craig Chalmers absolutely makes a right mince of a drop goal attempt. Yep, yep. Sort of goes goes somehow manages to kick it behind him almost, um, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it, it's just it's really interesting because I mean at that point it was six all, and then England got a, they didn't get a penalty, and they almost score a try, you know, and it's just that I I don't if you watch that game back, and I know the sense like you said the sense of inevitability, I suppose we're watching it knowing what the result is, yeah, but it's it's night and day compared to twenty fifteen and an EMS. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. The other, can, I, can I pull out one more point from 91? Just, absolutely. Just, I think this is really, um, really important. See the next person that says that rocks were better <laughs> back then. Go and do one, mate. Honesty, goodness. Those, it was like, it was just mental. It was just bodies everywhere and people jumping on each other's heads and oh i was i, I was watching it and i was actually like it, you know i was scared my like my, my internet filter was going to stop me watching the video it was gruesome <laughs> it was absolutely and, and Ian Tukolo, who clearly played the game concussed <laughs> yeah, yeah i know just no player welfare whatsoever and it's the pace yeah. it was i mean what you know 80 minutes paid at a break net i mean the yeah. like just like right let's let's have a scrum and they just scrum down and crack on yeah, there's down, no smash go. don't go and then 80 minutes no replacements everyone just running around like headless chickens for 80 minutes and then the final whistle goes. I mean, you, I don't know which one you saw. The one I saw had a sort of extended bit of uh, from the England dressing room out afterwards. I, no, I didn't see that. Uh, it's on there. I, I, I um, might post the link um, on the blog tomorrow with the podcast. But the one I watched at the very end, it must be from an old England. It must be in an England, must have released a video of it. But it's the England dressing room afterwards. And it's, I mean, it's worth watching because it's quite funny. But uh, Brian Moore coming up the tunnel stops and leans against the wall with his head down and looks for all the world about he's about to absolutely throw up <laughs> and little wonder little wonder the amount see if you have rocks like that the amount of work that people have to get through to 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 survive those things yep. it's uh mental absolutely no. mental the, the, you know the the game is better for the changes i think we're happy to say that it was good for, for watching the game for a novelty for novelty value there was lots to like about it i mean i yeah. I did check World Rugby rule books to see if we can bring back David Soul's ripped sleeve. We cannot, sadly. We can't. No, that, there's regulations about that. There are. I suspect probably because of David Soul's ripped sleeve, <laughs> <laughs> those, are, those are in place. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, you know it was a, an interesting um, an interesting watch that one, but uh, it's not the. I think we can agree it's not the near miss. Everyone thinks it was. I don't think Scotland were ever in with a chance of winning that game. England had the better of them. I I would be delighted for anyone 
to leave a comment on 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 the podcast or leave a comment wherever you want. Even I will even put as far as this. I would be comfortable if someone wanted to at me and tell me in what world it was a near miss. <laughs> yes, and we will. I think we will post. We'll post the we we'll post the video of the game that I watched. The version I watched. We both yep. watched the same game, but um, where you can get there, there there is some worth in in watching. I think that especially afterwards where. Um, Someone says Doddy, Doddy, who they want to get Damien Cronin back in. Um, I mean, to be fair, Doddy, twenty-one, you know, playing your, yeah. your sky, twenty-one at that in nineteen ninety-one. It's a lock. That's a hell of a feat. A hell of a feat at that age. At that, you know, with that ferocity of rugby, but you know, yeah, Re- reckless abandon for one's um, one's body. Yeah. I think would be reasonable. Um, twenty fifteen then. Uh, I thought I was ready, John. No, no, no. I was not. I was not prepared for what was to come. I thought enough time had passed. I thought I had learned to love again, <laughs> but I had not. Um, this, this still hurts. <laughs> so yeah, so it, it, yeah. it, what came out with was, this still hurts. Now, what I didn't realise at the time, and what galled me more was when they were going through the um, match officials and did you hear who the TMO was? No, I didn't actually. I didn't notice. Can you guess who the TMO was, John, for that game? Oh, it wasn't Ben Skeen, was it? It was Ben Skeen. It was not, no. It was Ben Skeen. Can you remember who called it back for the Sean Maitland yellow card? I remember it was Ben Skeen who called it back for the Sean Maitland yellow card. Oh, come on. Yeah, have a heart, World Rugby. So yeah, I am happy. I think at this point we need Ian uh, Hey, our, our uh, fellow, um, uh, you know, um, contributor to the blog and the podcast. He needs to go away and produce some sort of X file style dossier now on Benski. There, there's clearly, Absolutely. clearly a World Rugby conspiracy. Why do we end up with him as a TMO? so many times why does he make so many decisions against us I know people don't like us criticising referees but Ben Skeen honestly seriously find me a game where he's made a decision in Scotland's favour and I will happily um, I will happily bow down to uh, your powers of research because you must have had to dig deep to find that so that was my first takeaway from the game was that I swore a lot when I realised who the TMO was and that's the thing. Even if they'd gone to the TMO for for what would was to come, I don't think he would have given it. <laughs> I think he would have given yeah, the penalty because yeah. it was Actually, Ben effing Skeen. Based on that, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think there's yeah again a sense of inevitability. I think what's different different about this one is it, compared to the quarter final in 2007 is that if Scotland had won this, they would have played Argentina. And it, yes, for, for as well, you know, Argentina did very well. Ireland, they played, didn't they? They they, they beat to get through to the yeah. semis. Uh, Scotland had beaten Argentina, uh, you know, going going into the World Cup. Uh, that was that was a winnable semi final for Scotland. We would have got mullered by the All Blacks in the final. Let's not yep. make any bones about it. But we would have made the World Cup final. I I'm, I'm confident saying that. So that's why I think that's why this hurts more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think. So, if I'm being honest, I, 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 I'm totally stand with you. It's, it is, it's too soon to be doing this, but I was able to detach myself slightly from it, believe it or not, and look at it. And I've, I, I, the first, the first point of 
picked out is again quite a few of her tries. Yes, there were. You know, I've I've never been one for saying that interceptions or charge downs or um, or uh, interesting set plan moves are fluky tries, but we didn't actually create anything that good against Australia, and we were hanging on in there until Bennett's intercept. Mm, I disagree. You see, I oh, had okay. a different take on the match. I. Came, this is actually the, the interesting. This is the first time I've watched this match Five all the way sense. through. All right. Because at the time, at the, um, and people sent some lovely stories about being in bars and uh, swearing at tallies and um, I think someone smashing their head off a dashboard in a car when um, <laughs> watching this game. Um, and we haven't got time to cover them tonight. But I, my daughter was, she just turned one at the time and we were at her swimming lesson. Oh. during the quarterfinal. Um, but we were going to be back in time for, I think, just after the second half. So I recorded it. So I watched the first half on like double speed and I would stop it for the tries and the penalties and, yeah. and any events. So I caught up for it for the Bennett try. And I I screamed the house down and I made her cry. I should do, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I was very quiet for the rest of the night. Um, but so this is the first time I've watched. I, I haven't been able to bear to watch it back because we didn't have a podcast at the time, so I didn't have to put myself through that. And Rory yeah. did the match report. So watching it back, I was there, there were times when Australia pulled away, but I thought we were in that match a lot more than I think I remember. I think you're right. We did. We we you know the 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 Russell offload to Seymour and and the yeah. Bennett interception. But we were, I think we we deserved to be in that game, and we did quite well. We we had our chances. We and laid. I think what what came out of it for me was how important and how key Laidlaw was to that Scotland team at that time in keeping yeah. the scoreboard ticking over. Because there there were times when he took points where I don't think we take. I think we we would have gone to the corner now, for example, a Absolutely. couple of times. Absolutely, he just kept the scoreboard kicking over. Yeah, I think at one point he kicked. A penalty when we were right pushing the um, you know just before the Bennett try, and actually with ten minutes to go, I think even he took a penalty rather than going to the corner, and it was the right decision at the time. Um, yeah, absolutely. But so it's interesting. I came away with a different. I think you're right. I think to a certain extent there was there was some luck in the tries, but I also think Scotland were in that match. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Again, as as I was saying, I don't think that the try the tries necessarily uh, they were all good tries. Um, it just for me felt like I guess Australia again seemed to be whilst we kept the scoreboard ticking over, it just felt like at any point they could have switched on and yeah. actually ran ran over us. Yes, and I think that's probably that's probably the interesting thing is looking back on it now with the benefit of hindsight. This is. This is an interesting sort of crossroads, isn't it? Because this is an, an Australia team on the decline. Yes. Like you said, they could have switched on at any time and had the better of us. And a Scotland team on the ascendancy. It's just that we didn't hit them quite when we were ascendant enough and, and or Absolutely. when they were on the way down enough. You look, I think it's the following um, autumn when they come to Murrayfield and we... But no, do we lose, in fact? We lost by a we point. We lost by a point again, didn't we? And then yeah. the, then we beat them in the summer and then we helped them again at Murrayfield, the, I think, the, the autumn afterwards. Um, Denton, though, David Denton, what what a game. I mean, that's yeah. uh, you know, I think Scotland have been... 
Scotland had the number eight they've been crying out for for that one game, <laughs> and have yeah, never found I, it since. It's so typically Dave Denton that it it would be only one game ever that he would <laughs> do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've actually I've written down here back row. That back row was, when you think about it, in, ter- in terms of you know the, the picks in there, you had Blair Cowan in there as well, who had an immense game, mm. and. You know these these guys are nowhere near the squad now. Nowhere yeah. near it. Yeah. Denton obviously through injury um, hasn't been considered and has been part of a couple of squads recently. But I I don't even think I don't think he's the first choice eight. No. In any anybody's world. Not unless he rediscovers that form. Yeah. Which, given the percentage of that form has been approximately 0.001% of his playing career. <laughs> the odds are not, you know, let's let's go Hunger Games here. The odds are not in his favour. No, no, that's very true. Um, he is, well, he's 29 now. Still still a chance to, to, to read, still still some opportunity. Um, the the Maitland knock-on, are we, a, a penalty definitely, but but maybe not, not a yellow card, Ben Skeen. <laughs> I think a yellow card's harsh. Um, I th- I think there's been more. Uh, there's been more sense applied to that rule in the last four years since uh, since that World Cup. By by what was the precedent at that point? It is a yellow card. Mm-hmm. I think it's harsh, and I think we we are better off now that um, TMOs except Benskin are maybe applying a wee bit more discretion to that. Yeah, because it looked that he wasn't going to... It wasn't a slap down. No, no, By any no. measure, so... Um, the other thing... I mean, just... I thought the ferocity Scotland played with is something that we... Ha- you know, that, 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 you know, comes in fits and bursts for Scotland, but that was good to see. Um, some very aggressive carrying... Um, Finn Russell looked very composed given this was this fairly early, oh. you know, very early on in Russell's career. But that was a yeah. a ve- not much Finn sanity. No, and it's one of the ones that people don't. People always talk about Finn's performances, um, and you know he's obviously had some absolute blinders, but that's one of his best. It's one yeah. of his best, and he was, and that should have been enough for people. Because obviously back then people just thought he was just absolute, you know, bananas and a total liability, and you know would lose us more games than he would win us. But he had he had the control there and then. He was able to control that game, and he did it very very well. Yeah. Um, have you got any other points before we talk into the? I mean, the only thing I liked is the one I listened to had an Australian commentator who, instead of hands in the ruck, said he's got his hands in the cookie jar, which I did like quite a lot. Nice. I th- nice. I'm thinking of rechanging the jingle. I, no, I mean the only thing. I just like Bernard Foley. I don't think I'm ever going to like that guy ever again. <laughs> like I don't. I don't even think I did like him to be honest, right? But I mean, a guy with a name like Bernard is. You know, it's a it's a hard it's a hard sell right away, but just seeing him line up that kick and you're just sit, you're sitting there thinking, ah, oh, you you've cheated us. Just kick it wide. Just do the do the right thing. Do what Paolo Di Canio done in the Premiership all those years ago and got like a fair play award <laughs> for it. Like it's the only medal you're actually going to win, mate. Just just kick it wide. It's fine. Yeah. But no, no, poor no. Bernard. Missed the penalty. I mean, just before the thing, of course, it was Drew Mitchell taking Hoggy off the ball. 
Yes. Ben Skin didn't call that back, but it's Ben Skin. We wouldn't expect him to. Um, And it's, yeah. The. They made a mess of the line-out. Let's not make anyone... Scott made a mess of the line-out. I wasn't sure if I was watching 2015 or, or 1991 again. Yeah. It was, it was all over the place. It was horrendous. You can't blame John Welsh for that at all. He just acts instinctively. But as we found out subsequently, it wasn't a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> it was a scrum. Um, and that's 78 minutes. 78 minutes. Yeah, I mean, again, you just go back to that that line in every single refereeing course you'll ever do for for World Rugby and for for SRU and all the rugby refereeing courses. They have a really simple line. The referee should try, where possible, to not be the decider of the outcome of the match. Yeah. And Joubert forgot that. Yeah, and here is here is here is. I hadn't heard this at the time, and this is golden. We have a laugh through this. This is this is Radio Five um, as the final whistle goes, and just listen how outraged everybody is. It's added time. It's gone to Gito. He kicks it into the stand. The final whistle goes, and Juper runs off the pitch. He sprints he off the pitch he as knows fast it. He as knows he can, it. and he. In trouble because he should have gone right or wrong whether it was a proper penalty to Australia or not but that is the controversial end to the match with Australia winning and going forward to the semi-final to meet Argentina but Gavin there'll be big question marks well, here and the referee shouldn't have to sprint off a how, how disrespectful how is that? disrespectful that is the worst thing I have seen on a rugby field for a very long time and he is not prepared to face up to the players that is not rugby that is not the spirit of rugby and what he has done is done not only himself the greatest disservice but he has done rugby a great disservice and also I can remind <laughs> listeners that in 2011 11, he three times saw Richie McCaw come in from the side at 8-7 with 15 minutes to go and didn't award a single penalty against them which if France had kicked they would have won the World Cup he was told then he was in the wrong and what he's done here will have a massive question mark over <laughs> Disrespectful to his assistants, isn't it? I mean, it happens in football. Referees make controversial decisions, but they all walk off the pitch together. Not only disrespectful to the players, Matt, but to his assistants too. Gavin has just said that. It's disrespectful to the game. That encompasses everybody. The tournament, the fans, the sponsors. The sponsors. Let's not forget the sponsors, John. (laughs) We will make a big deal of this because we're not exaggerating. He blew the final whistle, turned around and sprinted off the field. He didn't jog, he didn't shake the captain's hands, he didn't shake the players' hands. He sprinted 40 metres off the field under the tunnel. There's no exaggeration, there's no sour grapes. Don't give me any Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere bits of the <laughs> Can I just say, he should be sent home tomorrow, straight back to South Africa. He should be punished and never allowed to make an international refereeing commitment again. So there you go. That was strong words. (laughs) I was, I go because I'd watch the telly at the time. I think that everything's a bit more subdued. But yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Even (laughs) even to get even Ian Robertson 
you know, that riled is pretty spectacular. Standing. Yeah. Um the the now the, the the other thing I just wanted to play is um and I know that again, trigger warning people, this is this is Greg Laidlaw's post match interview and just listen to how furious I forgot how furious he was. Greg, many commiserations, a heartbreaking way to lose. What was your view of the penalty right at the death that's cost you the game? Well they go to the TMO for everything else, such a big decision. Why would you not wear the TMO for that? Decisions were against such, you in that second half. Crowd. What was your view also of the short Maitland yellow card that cost you points? Well, listen, I don't think we grumble too much about that. Tony stuck his hand out and the ball went down. It was disappointing. We don't really work the slap down, so, you know, you probably got that one right. You must be bitterly disappointed, but also very proud. Your team refused to give up through the game. But Brave Scotland, it's a, a label you've had before. You wanted to shake it off today, I'm sure. Oh, listen, of course, really, this team's different, I think, this time around. And, you know, I think you can see that from our performance. And, you know, oh, it's just, I don't know what to say, really. I know, I know it's difficult, but uh, this is a young team and you'll feel that there's a big future for this bunch of players. Yeah, we do. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, we do. Uh, and we'll work on that in, in time to come. We'll just, uh, I don't know, as I said, I'm lost for the words. I understand. Thanks very much, Greg. Well done. Thank you. It's interesting. I mean, that that thing he says at the end about the young player, and yeah, we're going to learn from that. That to me, I, I think Scotland was still shell shocked going into the, six, the the following Six Nations. But that uh, you can see Scotland using that that sense of injustice in a positive way. I, th- I think I think Laidlaw in particular. I mean, you've seen him. Obviously, people have criticised his post match interview against Ireland uh, as well, where he, he sort of. Um, Went a bit nuclear, um, but <laughs> he he was like a man possessed that day. He yeah. was, I mean, there was a there was a moment. I, it was Rhiannon uh, likes to talk about it quite often. There was a moment where he sort of ran around and smashed like five Irishmen consecutively, um, <laughs> like like a wee border nutter. Um, yeah, I I think do you know I I agree with you in some ways. I think this team does use. Uh, will have learned from that and they will use some of that fuel but I think for a lot of these guys there's it's a different mindset and they're much probably much more professional than that yeah yeah I think you're right I think that's I think that's a fair point I think you forget as well I mean I think um, probably about there's not many Surprisingly, there's not many players have carried through, not from no. age or anything. Not, you know, there's a few older heads, but that th- this squad isn't as there's not as many bodies in this squad as you would expect in 2015. If you'd sort of said in 2015, look, here's what the squad's going to look like, I think you would probably be surprised at how few players had were still playing or were still in, in or around the squad. I think they said seven from yeah. f- seven from the previous squad have made the are now in the forty. Training squad, yeah, which is quite, which is you know, there's, I think there's been well, apart from Sean Lamont and maybe Al Dickinson, um, it's hard to think of many other retirements. You just players either, either haven't kicked on or they've fall, you know, fallen off, fallen off yeah. the radar a wee bit. So it's it's in, it's interesting, and like you said, it's maybe not the carrying the same psychological scars, but if they can somehow use, have players who wear their talk about that injustice and 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 how. Yeah, do you know it? Not to let it happen again, and 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 regain that composure if the, Scotland can in the closing minutes of matches. 
and sort if, out the blooming restart. If it's the seventy-eighth minute of a match and we have a line out on our own ten-meter line, we are going to the front every single day of the month yep. from now on. Uh, and if they don't, I I think I will literally fly to Japan, to, <laughs> you know, just just to have words. This is, you know. Learn, learn the lessons from '91. Learn the lessons from 2015, and let's go and give it our best stab at winning this thing. Yes, exactly. Um, we'll move on to better and happier things now. Um, I haven't got the words "Doogie Donnelly" jingle. I've got something very special lined up for you all now. So here we go. It's, it's a lovely bit of guitar there. Um, for those that don't know, we've released our own World Cup song. And this is the B-side. The only full of bores, spouting mints without an ounce of charm or grace. <laughs> but long ago there was a man, joining John with, with hair like golden sand, who launched a million games of football with his face. From golf to indoor bowls, there's nothing Doogie doesn't know. He's covered rugby, sailing, boxing, and the like. We miss his wit, his repartee, we miss our Doogie Donnelly. And we're pleased he didn't go weird like David Icke. So bring back Doogie Donnelly on the DVC. He's stupendous, he's tremendous, he's the best. Gavin Logan, Sonny McLaughlin, no you really cannot knock them. But Doogie's so much better than the rest. I'm going to fade that out there. It does go on to, to talk about where you can stick John in for deal. Um, now, <laughs> this is our normal Where's Doogie Donnelly section, where we ask you to tell us who you have seen out and about. Um, it was inspired many, many moons ago early on in the podcast. I think we mentioned Doogie in passing and someone asked why he wasn't on the telly anymore and we found out he was off presenting golf um, in the Far East for, for other channels, for satellite channels, and, and doing very well for himself. Um, he, of course, someone got in touch with but he was recently the host of the Three Nines dinner at Jedburgh, uh, which was Greg Laidlaw, um, Roy Laidlaw, and... Um, oh, the name's gone. I remembered it earlier on today. But yeah, <laughs> the three Jed Nines, anyway. Um, Gary Armstrong, there we go. It's come back to me. Um, had hosted that and was very, very funny and very good. Um, now... Obviously, we've released a World Cup song, for those that don't know. It's an aid of My Name's Doddy Foundation. It's on Bandcamp. If you go to the blog, um, you will find the link. You can go on there. You can buy it. It's £4. You can pay more if you want to. Um, all the money um, after Bandcamp takes its percentage cut, which is quite low, will go to the My Name's Doddy Foundation. That's why we're doing this. Um, if everybody that listens to this podcast, uh, and there's quite a few of you, you are in your thousands, were to go and buy this, we'll raise a lot of money. That's all we're saying. So please, go and buy it. You may, even if you don't like the song itself, it's called We'll Still Enjoy the Saki. What's not to like about it? It's a bit of fun. Go and buy it. You get the song We'll Enjoy the, we'll Still Enjoy the Saki, which is based on You Can't Shove Your Granny Off a Bus. You get a clean version, an explicit version. The explicit version, I'll be honest, is just uh, telling the English where they can put the chariots at the very end. Um, <laughs> there's two. There's a dance remix... Uh, we've got the B-side, Where's Doogie Donnelly? I'll bring back Doogie Donnelly on the BBC. Um, we've also got every single jingle we have ever had on the podcast on there as well. So you're getting a lot for your £4. So please, a lot of people have already bought it. So if you haven't already, please go and buy that and, and hopefully we can raise a lot of money. Now, today, John, something rather Aww. something rather marvellous happened. Um, I was fishing a bit, I'll be honest. 
um, to try and promote the song. But we we put on Twitter that um, people could buy the song and and that bring back Dougie Donnelly was the B side. And who should who should hop into my mentions? But Mr. Mr. Dougie Donnelly himself, who says, I'm, I'm deeply flattered and embarrassed, Cammy. And we, we've made a video, um, a little video uh, for Twitter with, with various pictures of Dougie, some of which uh, from back in the day, one, one of him carrying a giant Toblerone, um, <laughs> randomly. <laughs> Um, one on shabby, shabby do one for the older, older listeners there. Um, and he said he, he, I paid a lot of money f- to have some of those photos disposed of. Um, <laughs> but I did say we were, we were great fans, um, and um, and we do like him. Um, the um, Sandy suggested where we've now completed. Where's Dougie Donnelly? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> we haven't actually met him. <laughs> He's tweeted us. That doesn't count. Um, a few people have always asked us to try and get him on the podcast i'm not sure i have i don't I, I like the mystique i like the air of mystique around doogie if we were to have a virtual podcast recording studio or a virtual uh, rugby blog towers um there'd be a large picture of doogie over the mantelpiece he's, he's who we should all aspire to be in life i think i think i think it could be like the final episode of quantum leap yes. where we have we have doogie but is it actually doogie and then we think we're going to finally meet him and then it sort of leaves it open and then we have that so just sorry spoiler alert if you haven't seen it where have you been for a start but you know you have that soul destroying moment where you leap into that final you think you're going home no no it's not doogie yeah i, I think, think that's it that's it i think i think that's it we we realize it's not doogie it's actually god i thought we'd lovely <laughs> wouldn't that be lovely, lovely and comforting we i do another podcast now um called cbb's go home if anyone's interested anyone has small children we talk it's me and my, my friend james talking about um See basically CBeebies programs and um, taking them far too seriously, and we talk on there about which CBeebies characters we'd like to have stroking our head um, as we were we were da- li- lying <laughs> laying dying in bed <laughs> in a hospital bed. And I think in terms of sporting, I think Dougie, Dougie would be one. I'd quite you know definitely just, definitely. Um, so yeah, please please go and buy that. Details on the blog. Um, in terms of other where's Dougie Donnelly's, it doesn't really, this doesn't really count. But I'm going to allow it for me and Wallace. Uh, he saw Linda Lusardi on Princess Street on Friday. It doesn't really fall into what we're looking for, but um, that's yeah, he fair sent enough. Me that one as well. He is very proud of that. We're talking. I mean, we are talking. We we have been talking about 1991, and you know, Linda Lusardi uh, to her credit back in 1991 and Piccolo Low time. Um, you know, was she in the Lolo? Am I getting that right? Um, that's beyond me, to be honest, mate. No, that's, no. Uh, before my time. Before your, of course, before your time. Um, so yeah, so um, if you have seen anybody around and about, then do get in touch with us, and we'll read it out on the next. Where's Doogie Donnelly? Um, we're going to do this now. <laughs> That's right, it is time for Hands in the Ruck uh, at our any other bit, section business of the podcast. Um, we're running on quite long, John. We've, we've had a lot to cover, haven't we? Uh, do you know what? When Doogie appeared in, in, in your, your DMs, I knew it was going to be a long one. It was I going mean, to be yeah, special. You had to give that its due place. Yes. Um, so this is our any other section uh, section of the podcast. Um, this is where we kind of talk about things sometimes out with Scottish rugby, things that have been bothering us or amused us during the week. Um, during the World Cup, we're going to be covering uh, the, the, the World Cup from a Scotland perspective. If you're just getting into podcasts 
or you're looking for other rugby podcasts to listen to that that, that give a wider perspective, then then uh, do check out Blood and Mud uh, podcast, a very good podcast that covers yeah. um, do do unlike other non-Scottish podcasts, they do cover Scotland quite a bit. To be fair, they give us a good a good rate of coverage, but they also cover um, other parts as well. Um, Thorfinn in the Red got in touch on Twitter. His hands in the rocket. Scotland haven't played, and watching everyone else is really getting me going. Um, so that was his hands in the ruck. Um, John, yeah. your your hands in the ruck this week. Um, so I, I I'm gonna I'm actually gonna link it back to our our, our charity efforts. Um, and just have a, a a small rant about um fans fans need to um Scottish fans need to stop taking themselves so seriously uh, and just lighten up a bit. Uh, and I'll. I'll caveat that with a minority of Scottish fans need to just lighten up. Um, we've we've had a resounding amount of positivity uh, with for our um, what is clearly us having a laugh um, with our um, um, our World Cup song, um, but we have had some shade from some people, which yes. has been surprising. I must say it's been very surprising, and um, I. I have I've tried to sort of separate it out and think you know maybe, maybe obviously it's not for everyone but I think you would be very much in a very small minority if you didn't support the the Doddy Weir charity and didn't support the idea of raising money for charity and didn't support the idea of just having a laugh That's because didn't support fan. fun I know yeah That's... yeah where where is your fun yes I mean it's not I you I make it clear we're not suggesting in any way that there is any kind of production value placed on the no no on our no song. and that's it's part of the, you know we we it was cobbled together for a bit of fun it you know it, the reason we did it that way and we could have you know we probably could have roped in professional musicians we could have hired a studio we could have got somebody better than me to singish <laughs> if I'm honest um, oh, Cammy you talk yourself down I probably am um, but. You know, it was just, it's a bit of fun. Um, we kept costs to zero. Um, uh, yeah. It doesn't cost us anything to host on Bandcamp. They take a percent, a cut of the of, of the money. Um, they're a big faceless organisation. So, I, you know, we, we've got no way of pleading for that money back, but it's only a, it's only about a couple of percent of every sale that goes to them. Um, so this, this is a way of doing it cheaply and easily. And because we do it through Bandcamp, people can pay what they want. And you know what? If you don't like it, you don't have to pay anything. If you want, if you don't want to buy it, but you still want to give to the My Name's Doddy Foundation, there are plenty of ways to do it, and Absolutely. and and please go and give freely, uh, and and do so. But my my yeah, I this was I think it would I would hope it would come over in in the uh, the execution, John. That 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 we <laughs> we are not singing because you you drum on this, but but neither of us are singing eyes closed X Factor style whilst delivering this. Um, you know, we, no. we, we feel like we've come up with something that's a bit of fun um, and a bit of a laugh and, we, we you know, we put some thought into it um, and some work into it, but the main objective was to raise a bit of money and, and, and have a bit of fun. I mean, we, we did a petition for a World Cup song, 69 people signed it, um, so, you know, we knew that demand was, was, was not quite... <laughs> 
quite as high as it might be. But we've, but nevertheless, we have done it. Um, we hope everyone enjoys it. Please do go and buy it. And if you don't want to buy it, you don't like it, go and give the four pounds to straight to the My Name's Doddy Foundation. Absolutely. But if you don't like something, you don't have to say it. Yeah. All every it's, single time. When did we get away from this idea of it? You know, there used to be manners. Like back in the day, yes. back in the day, there used to be manners, Cammy. This is very what true, is yeah. Which, and it comes back to you know, if if somebody, you know, we're we're all open to feedback here, and and Lord knows we've had feedback on the jingles, and I've still persevered <laughs> with them. Partly, partly out of spite, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but all partly out of a sense of fun. It almost feels like that got a bit. Of, that, that's a bit of fun. That you know, I feel people they're 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 secretly hating, but loving to hate the jingles in the podcast. How can you hate them? They're so good. And they're so catchy. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so like we said, it's it's um, yeah, we we put work into it, but but. We, um, we no money, no money change exchanged hands in the production of it. So, um, in order to try and save money and make sure the most money possible does go to the My Name's Doddy Foundation, and you know, do if you don't like it, maybe your friends will. So why not buy it and play it to them? Give it to someone as a present. Burn it to burn it. Go and download it. Burn it to a CD. Give it to them. You're raising money, raising their smiles at the same time. If if you do want to do that and you want um some some graphics for the for obviously for the for the cd case or or for the actual cd itself you know do do feel free to contact us we, we yeah. can provide pictures we have all the, sorts. we have the where um we'll still enjoy the saki we have a front cover image we can email we to do, you yeah, quite happily yeah. if you want to make someone a, a case um it's going to be the the song's going to be available i think it has to be available forever um i think that's how it works with bandcamp um we are Easy. donating all the money we receive between now and the 31st of january uh, to the My Name's Doddy Foundation, um, just because I suspect after then people will lose interest and hopefully we can try and encourage people to to buy some for Christmas. Um, if, if 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 it continues to sell big after then, then then of course we would continue to give a proportion to, to, to the to the foundation. But I, I would be very surprised if we continue to sell them after that date. But you never know, John. This could be this could be our this this could be our big hit. Me, I've I've actually I've still got the the running order. Uh, for because obviously I was I was um, laying the drum track over your um, hastily arranged vocals. Yes, <laughs> and um, I actually had all the different transitions. I had to write them out to remember them all. Um, so I, I I'll be honest. I have played it a couple of times since, just just in case, just yeah. in case. You know, if someone wants a live live version, you, we're, you never we're know when you're going to be asked. Yes, the only the only issue would be that. Um... I the guitar on it is me messing around on Garage Band and I cannot play the guitar. <laughs> so we have to rope in a guitarist at least. Maybe Rory Rory, Rory plays guitar. Rory so maybe can we, play. Rory I've no idea. Play. I couldn't tell him what the chords are. He'll have to learn it by ear. It's it's yeah. it's the it's basically the cause to you know you kind of shove your granny off a bus. So how hard's that? So yeah, um, again once again we're going to keep pushing this. Please do go and buy the World Cup song. If you're going to Nice, get in a group, go and sing Wait, it. The co- it goes now now. Um, Let's sing it together. We're we'll trying to sing this together, John. Although there is a slight delay, I think on on our end. But let's go. So yep. it's after four. We're going to just do the. Um, we're going to win the World Cup. You ready? Yeah. Okay. A one, two, three, four. We're, we're going to win, win the World Cup. Cup. Oh, we're yeah. going to win the World yeah. Cup. And even, even if we can, we can yeah. we'll still enjoy the sake. sake. We're going to win the World Cup. So there's the chorus for you, kids. Go and go and belt that out. Get Laldi and Nice for us all. Um, 
my hands in the ruck then. Now, um, uh, Thorfinn in the red also had the same hands in the ruck. It's um, the red card for Scott Barrett. I don't know if anyone yeah. saw this. Um, not so much the red card, because the red card was awarded correctly. Um, to avoid any confusion in the way that these things are implemented these days, World Rugby actually produced the flow chart showing you how to make how referees made these decisions. Right? And it was available before the match. It's not something they put out afterwards, although they have subsequently reissued it because of what happened after the game, which we'll come on to in a minute. But it's literally a flow chart. And what the flow chart says is head shoulder to head. Yes. And you follow it along, because that's how flow charts work, folks. To the yes. And then it says red card. And if it says head shoulder charge, but not to the head, it says you say no, and then it says mitigating circumstances, and then you decide whether it's a yellow or not. Now, what happened after this is that the New Zealand press lost their, you know, lost their heads a little bit. But that's the New Zealand press for you. They yeah. unlike unlike the team, they are not humble. They are as far from the New Zealand press are as far from humble as you can get about their rugby team. Um, but we just say say hello to uh, in particular Will Greenwood over on Sky, um, who continued to start to talk about mitigating factors despite people sending him, a number of people sending him on Twitter the flowchart. And he kept saying, oh, yes, very nice visual, he said to somebody, but I'm still not convinced. Ah. It, it was a shoulder charge to someone's head. You follow the it through, it's a red card. World Rugby have come out since then and said, you follow it through, it's a red card. The right decision was made. And they've actually come out today and said, we want referees to implement this. So every coach, going, every defence coach going into this World Cup needs to be getting players' tackle height sorted out. If you're hitting a player and you've not, haven't got time to adjust yourself, get out of the way or make sure you stand up straight so they hit your chest. Because if you hit them with your shoulder because you missed time a tackle, you're off the pitch for the rest of the game. And we're going to see a lot of red cards in the World Cup. And we need to sort out the kind of discussions we're going to have about it now. Because if it's shoulder to the head, it's a red card. There's no argument about it. And either Will Greenwood, because he kept digging himself in a deeper and deeper hole over this, either he doesn't understand the laws of the game, which is a possibility, or he's deliberately confusing things in order to get clicks and try and create content and drive traffic to Sky. Why so cynical, Cammy? Why so cynical? It's one of the two, John. And either way, he should be out of a job because of it. Because he's yeah. endangering lives. And that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. It's not, this, it's not, it's not a... I th- you know, player safety is paramount. There's no debate about this anymore. Coming down the line, in the next 10 to 20 years there's going to be massive compensation claims made for players who are now retired. Yes. And rugby needs to get its house in order now. So when those claims come in, they say, yes, we know there was an issue. Yes, we'll pay those compensation claims. However, for the last 10 years, we have put effective measures in place to make sure this kind of thing isn't going to happen. Because otherwise, when those compensation claims happen, like they're happening in NFL right now, people will start to question the sport. And the sport itself may cease to, to exist because all of a sudden sponsors aren't going to be attracted to a sport where people are being disabled and caused problems in later life because of the brutality of it. And though, like I said, those claims are coming. And this whole group of games gone soft and let the boys play a lot, they need to get on board with this now. 
um, JB from Egg Chasers, who I know I've had my run-ins with on Twitter. Um, earlier this year, he was on the Blood and Mud podcast when Lee was away and he was talking to Josh. And he was saying that as a player, he will use the concussion protocols to get opposition players sent off by the referee. He'll say that player's had a knock. And this is where... I think this is where we we you know we, we've been down on rugby values before, but this really is where rugby values should kick in. That's not that that that's you start playing around and messing around with stuff like that. You, you're messing around with people's lives because then you get are you getting debates, you're getting arguments with the referee about how someone hasn't had a head knock and someone's just game, you know playing games and messing on. You can't mess around with stuff like this. It's not a game. It's people's lives, and we know what the effects are of pissing about with stuff like this. Go on Twitter and go and look at Ben Robinson Dad's, Pete Robinson's Twitter feed because what happened to his son was horrendous. Go and read interviews with him. If you in any way think are of the let the boys play or the game's gone soft crowd, go and look at what happened to that lad and the results of on-field concussion protocols being applied in a child's match, which they shouldn't be at all. They shouldn't even really be applied in amateur games. It's the the rule is even doubt sit them out. That's the rule. Absolutely. And no one should be messing around with it. Nobody should be debating about whether or not a shoulder charge to the head is there were mitigating circumstances. It's a red card. And if you start messing around with it and confusing people, then it filters down. And when you all of a sudden then you start getting referees believing what Will Greenwood says over what World Rugby are telling them, applying the rules wrongly. Or you get coaches putting pressures on referees because they don't quite get the way it's being interpreted. We need, we all need to speak with one voice on this, and it it, it bothers me that people either pundits and people in positions of power, because that's what they are, because they're the ones giving out the messages. They're the ones on telly week in week out talking about this stuff. Either need to learn the laws, or need to stop trying to make have a debate about this because the debate's over. We've had it. Yeah, You've lost. Debate. Yeah. Oh wow! Amen to that. Kevin. Amen to that. That was there. We that, go. Yeah, well done. No, Preach. absolutely. Here, yeah. here. Yeah. So, yes. On that note, that high note, it's been a bit of a dour podcast. <laughs> I think we've been you know fun. What? Uh, uh, there's been times there's been times there's been times we got there and then this is going to be close to a two hour one John so I hope hope everyone has bared with us through it Um, I hope you all had a lovely time you're getting let's just say you're getting two for the price of one in this because we're off next week so do check the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk for um, coverage of the Scotland game against uh, France in Nice and then the following game uh, against France at Murrayfield we will be back uh, the week of the 29th of August with a podcast probably on the Tuesday night if I'm honest um, I've got the in-laws thing with me so I'll be back in the garage like I was with the Band of Scotch one <laughs> um, quietly uh, staring at my etchings um, <laughs> there, there's a mental image that there's no a one mental needs image. no for you um, so for the, for the meantime anyway don't forget to get in touch uh, and we'll, we'll happily read out your contributions in the meantime it's goodbye from me and goodbye from John Goodbye, folks. Oh, you canny shift the mesh off the ball. No, you canny shift the mesh off the ball. He'll run rings around your crew because he's a pinball wizard too. No, you canny shift the mesh off the ball. 
singing we're gonna win the World Cup Oh yes, we're gonna win the World Cup And even if we can't, we'll still enjoy the sake We're gonna win the World Cup Bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC He's stupendous, he's tremendous, he's the best Gabby Logan, Sonia McLaughlin, no you really cannot knock them But Doogie's so much better than the rest So bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC His cancellation really was a farce Dan Walker, Jake Ball, no they don't have it at all And you can stick your Inverdale up your one, two, three, four Here he comes, that famous dancing fin Oh, here he comes, that famous dancing fin